It's not always the big things that change the world. It's the small acts of kindness that happen repeatedly over a lifetime that make the world a better place. So every week we share a story of someone like you who is doing good in the world in their own way. Welcome to Doing Good with Carmen Herbert. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Good. I'm your host, Carmen Herbert, and I'm so excited to have on the podcast today, Laura Welch. And we just discovered through our little pre-podcast interview, that we have so many connections. First of all, we're fellow Canadians. She was born in Vancouver and I was born in Edmonton, Alberta. We have friends that are similar that we love and live close to us that you guys lived with when you were back in Boston or lived close to, not lived with, but back in Boston. It's so funny. Like when I do interviews, I think I've never met this person. And yet there's all these little connections. I'm like, oh, that's so funny that in another world, (laughs) we're like so similar. It's so funny. And we have lots of similarities. So for those of you who don't know, Laura Welch lives in Vienna, Virginia with her husband and five children. She is a speaker, educator, comedian, storyteller, actress, and mother. She wears many hats. She was in the awesome comedy troupe called Divine Comedy while she attended BYU. And Divine Comedy, honestly, that was like the start before Studio C and all that. This was like really, you guys were groundbreakers for having something like this at BYU, right? Absolutely, yeah. And it's, and can people still find sketches like on YouTube or online? I'm comparing my sketches. Yes. Okay. So YouTube Divine Comedy, Laura Welch, and you can find sketches of her. But so a highlight of performing in front of crowds with Divine Comedy was the creation of the DC Pro Tour, where Laura produced, directed, performed, and filmed some of her favorite sketches with fellow troop members. And that was later distributed by Deseret Book, which is awesome. Laura continues to pursue acting and writing, and she's an advocate for family-friendly content. Thank you so much. We need so much more of that. She taught seminary. She graduated from BYU, earned her bachelor's in arts from BYU, and also attended the LDS Church Education Seminary Program and was a seminary and institute teacher. And she also spoke at EFY for several years. She loved reaching out to thousands of teenagers with messages about character, kindness, and being a hero to those around you. She loves making people laugh, which again, which, you know, check out those divine comedy sketches. Well, but something really awesome is that you are a phenomenal speaker. In fact, she won first place for her oral interpretation monologue at a national collegiate speech and debate competition, which is incredible. While she was living in Boston with her husband at Harvard Business School, she organized something called the Crimson Parents that offers programming and community support for Harvard Business School families, which is awesome. That's still in place today. Is that right, Laura? Yes, yes. And which is so needful, a community of parents and families that are going through this. Because a lot of, especially LDS families, I would say, that go to Harvard Business School, they have young children, right? They have little kids. Tell us a little bit about what that Crimson Parents support group offers. Yeah, it was, it offered support for mothers and the student fathers or student mothers. And by that, it means, you know, programming for the children. But I think that the, so we did yoga and music classes and play groups and preschools and meet at the park things. We also basically tried to take the tools for ward on how to help families because we had a lot of families from all over the world coming and they needed more. And so we kind of took our wisdom from how a ward family works. 
That is and implemented at HBS. I didn't tell MBA services that's what I was doing. I was saying we would have new move-ins and we'd assign people friends. And we did all of these kind of systems that organizationally really support families. But the thing I had the most fun with was the parenting speaking series. That's where I got to kind of and bring in experienced parents to come in and speak to the other parents. And then sometimes we just do mothers. And that's where I got to kind of have my passion of speaking aligned with what I was doing with that organization. I think that is so awesome and so helpful to, to mothers and fathers who are out there and in a new environment and and wanting to make friends and, and meet new people. I think that is such a great resource for families to have. And what a great thing for people to get to know each other and to be able to speak and, and mentor other families that are coming up through the Harvard Business Program and, and have like that community. I think that's so great. And you also, Laura, founded the Female Heroes Speaking Series for the Boston Area Relief Society, which for those of you who are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints know that the Relief Society is the largest women's organization in the world. And so that is awesome. So basically, Laura is just a rock star and is so awesome. And I'm so grateful that you have agreed to come on the podcast today and talk with us about all the good you're doing. So welcome, Laura. So excited to be here with a fellow kindred spirit, a mother and a mother and a dreamer. That's yeah. right. Okay. So I want to know a little bit about you, first of all, growing up. Have you always passionate about speaking, being in front of people, like making people laugh? Were you shyer as a kid? Tell me a little bit about childhood, Laura. I wish I could have the story of like, I was shy and then broke free. No, I was very extroverted as a child. And we had mirrors all over our house because I think our model was like the show model. Oh, people before it was purchased when they were like building the neighborhood. So mirrors make room, rooms look larger. And so yes. I put mirrors in the living room and the family room. And I was homeschooled for eight years. So I spent many days in front of the mir mirrors doing characters, voices, learning how to cry on cue. And then I was the third of six children and my father put me in charge of the video camera. And we, and so I started doing sketches and videos. To this day, my fellow divine comedians would watch some of them and be like, I cannot believe because we were homeschooled kids along with the video camera. <laughs> And the stuff that we would come up with and video them and create movies. So at a very young age, I didn't know. Speaking came later. I didn't always see the correlation between comedy and speaking. And, and that was more of really led by God, kind of leading me towards speaking. I did speech and debate because I thought a kid involved was cute. And it was totally Sure, I'm, you know, motivated by something ridiculous. Yep. And then cute I voice. Cute voice. He was very talented. He's actually now a very talented actor. You can see him on many commercials. But he kind of led me there and I realized I was good at it. And then I got a scholarship at BYU-Idaho and had a phenomenal coach who believed in me and kind of built my confidence. And that's when I won nationals. And it was shocking to me when I won it. And after I got first place, I walked out and basically I heard it. The spirits say to me, this is what I can do with your talent, if, with me, with him helping, with me. Yeah, with him, not by myself. And so that's when I kind of led it to the speaking comedy CES world. That is so awesome. Did you ever have an experience where you were growing up specifically when you were young that you were either speaking to someone or trying to make someone laugh? And it, oh my goodness. Yeah. I have a story for a week ago. I think you have, I think your embarrassment barometer has to be very, you have to be very comfortable with embarrassment in order to do comedy. 
Yeah. And you have to be, and in fact, I have, we have something that I have with people like the divine comedy with called selfish comedy. It's where you do jokes for each other, knowing the audience wouldn't laugh. And so I was always the one who was willing to do it. So they'd say, Laura, I want you to go out and do this. We know it's going to bomb, but will you do it? And I'm like, yes, yeah, it's, it's going to make us laugh. I'm like, I'm game. We call it selfish comedy. It's not, I don't think it's a good practice, but it's where you can do comedy and it's really for yourself. And it's just really for yourself. Yeah. And, but yes, I think ma many instances, this one, I don't think I was even meaning to be funny, but I was young and I used to mix up words. I still do. It's funny. I'm a professional speaker, but I would, I say words wrong. And I was saying, and it, I think you might have to edit it out, but I was trying to say brain damage. And I s said, it backwards, which would be D-A-M damage. Yes. <laughs> no, I called it D-A-M brainage. <laughs> and I've been saying it to one of my leaders at church. I think I was like 11. And I said, I think I have big brainage. And she yes. looked at me and I like knew I was saying it wrong. You're like, I knew something was wrong. And it doesn't even help that I was talking about brain damage and then saying the I word meant, wrong. Word wrong. And realizing that if, you know, if you're okay with that, so kind of those sort of instances, realizing that I had to be okay with just laughing and, and saying things wrong and realizing it's okay. It's actually, I think the more I fail, the more comfortable I am at trying because the more I fail, I realize that it's absolutely okay to fail. In fact, it's yes. kind of fun. It's, it kind of fun. it's kind of fun. I love that attitude so much. And you do, you have to, as any performer, you have to be okay with being embarrassed and being criticized. And I think that's for so many people, that's why public speaking or or public singing or dancing or whatever, being in front of people is so scary because they're like, what if I get made fun of? And you kind of made a career like, oh yeah, people are laughing at me or laughing with me. And when you can kind of set those boundaries, it's kind of empowering. Yeah, I'm okay with you guys all laughing at me because I'm in charge of that. I'm doing it and it's okay to be embarrassed, but that's something that's hard. Like that's, it's hard to, do you feel like you were born with just an innate sense of high self-confidence that you were okay being embarrassed? You're okay people making fun of you or did that grow through your failure and experiences? I think I was born with a strong uh, sense of confidence. I, I do think that came naturally, but I do think what didn't come is understanding the perspective about it. And I think now I... I certainly did get embarrassed. And I, I'm actually a highly sensitive person. If you've ever read that book, I've decided. Oh, that's a okay. sensitive person. Yep. I am okay being a performer, but there are certain venues or arenas where I'm mortified, you know? So there, I have that kind of that both times. I think what has come through time is this. When now I see failure mistakes, and even when I fail on stage or say words wrong, or I actually learn that shows my audience that I'm vulnerable. And that vulnerability allows me to teach and connect much more powerfully. And that wisdom has come later, that when I come out silly or fun or fresh and sharing these experiences or messing up or everything failing, and I own it and I step into it rather than I'm so sorry. Like I try really hard never to apologize. I tell speakers, don't apologize. Don't. Yes. Just really embrace whatever's happening around you. But what I now from wisdom, and this has come later, is recognizing that it's in the vulnerability that people put their guards down and will start to listen to me because they're not perfect and they are failing. If I get up there and I am too perfect, too, yes. too put together and too pristine and everything is just so, 
they listen more because they're like, wow, she must know a lot more than me. I want them to listen more because, wow, she is just like me. Yes. And I, I recognize like, I don't need to go up and pretend I have more degrees than I am. I don't need to go up and try to have more credibility. And other people do. I'm grateful for people like that, that just seem smarter than me. I'm, I sure, certainly listen to them, but I learned that's not why people listen to me. People listen to me because they feel like they're like me and that I understand how incredibly painful and difficult life is. Yeah. And that we're all just sort of like fumbling through it and they can relate to me through the fumbling instead of the perfectionism. And I think that is an incredibly admirable thing and, and so needed just that authenticity. I'm just like you and I'm no one better. And, and I've said often too, because being in Hollywood and being in the public, I, as you can see, you, no one can see right now. I have no You're big pretty I haven't done my hair. No. Yes. You're pretty Grand. beautiful blonde. Yeah. Or, oh yeah. No. <laughs> but I've said, I never want, because being, you know, having, being in the spotlight and whatever is, it can be very mind twisting and where it's about how pretty you are and what size you are and people looking at you wanting to hate you. And there's like this thing among girls, like there's a commercial a while ago and there's a girl who sat next to someone and the beautiful girl looked at the girl that wasn't as pretty. And she's, I hate you because she had this gadget and the, the not so pretty girl was like, really? That's the best compliment that you could get is for a girl to say, I hate you because it means I want to be you. I'm jealous of you. And I'm like, I hate that that is the way it is when girls look at each other. Ew, I hate her because you want to be her. And I said, I never, ever want someone to look at me when I sing or perform and want to be me. My whole goal is it's is exactly the same as I want someone to want to be who they are because they see me being who I am. I never want it to be like, oh, look at her. I wish I had what she had, or I wish I... And, and, and it's hard for me to relate to people like that too. Like, I wish I looked like her. I wish I was, oh, I wish I was her. I think we should all would, we should all be wanting, be an inspiration for people to be who they are because we are being who we are. And so that's, that's, beautiful. that's exactly what you're doing, which is rare. And I just, oh, linking arms with you, wanting to do that same thing. Like, just be who you are, be who you are. And, and if you can see us failing and being crazy and, you know, real and that makes you want to do the same thing how much better of a world would that be when we can all just be ourselves and not have to worry about the perfectionism about with everything yeah well what came what brought you I'm gonna I, I what brought you to that understanding because you even more so are in those arenas right I I am but you I mean Hollywood American Idol yeah you were right there where I think the smoke and mirrors, I like to call it, and the false facades are even more powerful because I have spent a lot of time in CES and yeah. especially for youth. And I, I always say you can't work with a more blessed, pure people. They're just kind and really have their perspective correct. Yeah. What made you come to that? Because I think you were really, it's the force, the opposite is really forced in that arena. For sure. It is. And as a 17 year old, especially it was, it would be so easy to fall into that trap of, I have to be perfect and look perfect. And so a couple of things, I was blessed. There was no social media when I was on American Idol. It was MySpace. Do you remember MySpace? <laughs> so that was like, Ooh, the big thing. Facebook was like, just getting started. There wasn't a lot of users. This was back in 2002 when I auditioned and then 2003 American Idol. So wow. it wasn't 
it had not blown up yet. And I think that would have, as a teenager, if I had social media during that time, would have changed everything. My relationship with with my family and my father in heaven, my I always had a very healthy dose of self-confidence too from my parents. They were like, you can do anything and be anyone and we love you and you're beautiful. And, and even when I did not feel that way, they were always building me up, not to be better than anyone else, but just to be super confident with who I am. And then my mom would tell me, she's like, you are not doing this to be famous. You are not doing this to make money. You are going to do this to be an example for people in the church and and for the, all the young women out there that are looking up to you and that are watching you. And I had a little brother and sister and she's, you're going to do it for them. You're going to be an example and you're going to help spread the gospel. So when I had that perspective of, oh, it's not about being famous and looking perfect. It's about maybe if people can look at me and think about the savior or look at me and think about how I'm living my life. And I would get comments a lot like, you seem so mature. You seem so wise. And what they really didn't know is that I had the spirit with me. So I wasn't making those decisions of going out to drink or partying or sleeping with boys and all these things. I mean, every single thing you can think about in the For the Strength of Youth pamphlet was offered to me, like every single thing, anything, drugs and drinking and boys and porn and dishonesty and I mean, everything, radar movies, posing for magazines without clothes, all that stuff. And so when I thought about, okay, but what are people going to look at when they look at me? What do I want them to see? I honestly felt so much love and support from my father in heaven that I thought, I want them to see that you're happier when you're living your life with the gospel. And that actually makes you more beautiful and more radiant no matter what you look like is when you have the spirit with you that has actually nothing to do with how long your hair is or what makeup you're wearing or what clothes you have on. When you have the spirit with you, it enhances every part of your being and and intellect and your body. That was so fulfilling to me. And so those things really helped keep my head screwed on straight as a teenager and has helped me through the years. And I always say, when you look good, you feel good. It When you get ready for the day, not today, but other days, when <laughs> you get ready for the day and you look good, then you can forget about yourself and you're not worried about your about how you look. And I feel like Satan wants us to feel either depressed about ourselves. I'm so ugly. I'm so hideous. I'm so terrible. Look at me. I'm so amazing. I'm so gorgeous. I'm beautiful. And he wants us to be either one of those extremes. So when you can take care of yourself to where you can forget about yourself and be like, okay, I'm confident now. And now I can go out and serve. That's the best balance. And I feel like that's same with you. Like when you talk about when I can be confident enough in who I am and and with my presentation that I'm not thinking about, am I saying the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? Am I, you're like, no, this is who I am. I'm confident. Now I can forget about it and help others. I think that's powerful. And I think going back to kind of your love of Heavenly Father. And I think basically if I had to kind of sum up listening to your thoughts, it kind of made me think of when you care more about his approval than anyone else's approval. And approval, I mean, just that you are representing the Savior the way he would want you to. It, it's such a game changer. Because in reality, and I, when I started teaching when I was 21. I started teaching seminary at Pleasant Grove High School. And I knew I was supposed to be there. I felt very led there. I also knew I wasn't going to be a full-time seminary teacher. I'd had that. I just knew. And I had always felt drawn to EFY, but I didn't know when that was going to happen. And that ended up happening like a year later. And I did 17 years of EFY. <laughs> so oh, it was big, a long chunk. And now I'm excited to see what happens with FSY. I think it's going to be incredible. But I remember when you're preparing those lessons or talks or anything, and if your motivation and your reason of doing it is off. It yeah. really throws everything off. And totally, 
But you're saying you knew you were there to represent the Savior, to draw people closer to God, to be an example, to be a light. And then all of a sudden, all of these things that really could have suffocated you, really could have taken over your sense of self, did right? And your motivation was pure. And I think that's really in all things, if our motivation is aligned, then we're able to love the way we want to love and serve the way we want to serve. Yeah. It's, it's hard. And I think one of the ways I, this is what I loved, what I found it to be one of the most useful tools, because when you go out and you sing, or when I go out and perform and do comedy or give a speech and I do well, I don't need it as much, right? I'm like feeling good. They like their talk. They laughed at my joke, you know, like, and I think, feeling good. You know, I'm feeling good. And I remember though, when I did, when my lesson flopped or I had a headache the whole time. And so with comedy, it's all about timing. I'm sure other comedians feel this way, but when you have a headache, you're, I really think it throws your timing off. Yes. I've learned that if my motivation was pure and if I was there to really say what I felt Heavenly Father wanted me to say, even as it went poorly, I felt a feeling of peace and confidence as I left that room. Yes. And I I think that's the thing about this sort of connection to heaven and knowing why you're doing something, where your source of approval comes is it's, you don't need it quite as much when you do great. And it doesn't mean you didn't do it for the right reasons. You still could have been there for the right reasons, but you certainly will be very grateful you have it when you fail. When it doesn't go as well and you go, you know what, I prepare. Because there are times where I teach that teenagers are having a bad day and they aren't as receptive, you know? And if I walked in with the spirit with me, with the preparation, with the proper motivation, then I feel feeling of confidence and peace when I leave, even if I don't think it went as planned, you know? And so I think that's huge in listening to what you said of, you knew why you were there, you knew what your purpose was. And even though you could have felt kind of pushed around by this industry or, you know, some days you're the coolest and some days you're the worst, right? And that wishy-washy where if your whole sense of self and success is based on anything other than I'm a child of God, I love him and I'm here to do my best for him. Yes. Then you're really just... Uh, like a feather in the wind versus a grounded person moving forward with purpose and meaning. Absolutely. And that is the only reason why I came through that experience unscathed is that I had to rely on my heavenly father heavily. And I had to think, okay, because I, I still had horrible days where people would, you suck, you're terrible. I mean, I, I tell people there's really not much someone can say to me that I haven't heard before. Truly, honestly, I had death threats. I mean, I had like hate mail. I mean, bullying like you wouldn't believe. And then on the flip side, but you're amazing and you're wonderful and you're beautiful and all that stuff. And so it's like both extremes of people being fake and building you up and then people really trying to drag you down and well, which truth is it? And that's why I love so much when Heavenly Father says he's constant. It's like, where can I turn for peace? Where can I turn when all these voices are, you're this, you're that, or you should be this and you should be that. And getting that validation is there's someone that's constant and that's heavenly father. And he will tell you the truth. Brad Wilcox said, don't look out for validation, look up. And I've really tried to live my life that way of don't look out, don't look at what other people, because they'll either tell you what you need to, what you want to hear, what you feel like you need to hear, or they'll, or they'll lie to you and tell you awful, terrible things. But Heavenly Father, he said, will always tell you the truth about who you are, how divine you are, and what your mission is in life. And he's the one 
that's truly always on your side. And I'm so grateful that I had parents that, that really tried to teach me that from a young age to trust your heavenly father, trust his plan for you. And it sounds, Laura, like you, you did too, that you were very close to the spirit growing up and you let him guide you and all of your decisions and, and all of your choices that you made and tried to live as like you said, when you gave that speech and he said, look what you can do with me. Look what, look what I can make of you. And it's not necessarily to be big and famous and successful, but it's almost like you said, look at what you can accomplish and the peace and happiness that can come in your life when you include me in all of your decisions. Yeah, I think it's powerful and I, I couldn't agree more. I think I, I actually have a similar saying I say to Brad Wilcox, who I think is incredible, is stop looking left or right or down because we're all looking down now to figure yes, out you are down oh, yeah. and start looking up. And there was an elevator experiment where they would, it was from like 50 years ago and they did a hidden camera where it's at the Prudential Center and where they put everyone in an elevator and they started doing things that people don't typically do in an elevator facing to the back and, and moving around. And every time the person in the elevator would just start doing what everyone in the elevator was doing. And they would, they were looking left to right. So basically, instead of facing forward, everyone would face backwards, which is so weird. Like no one does that in an elbow. But every experiment, people just started doing it. And I think the plea to everyone, teenagers and adults, is stop looking left to right. Stop looking at what is the social norms? What is it that people are doing? And, and maybe that element of comedy in me, I, what I find in my children, some of my children, you're seeing comedy come out from them. And a lot of comedy, even like how you make a joke is to do the unexpected. So there's kind of these different rules in comedy, the power of three and, and timing, but there's also when you say something that someone is not expecting, they can't help but giggle, right? Like, yeah, oh, I killed him. She said that. Oh my goodness. You know, and the, the laugh comes. And so I do think part of my personality is, and I do think this is just innate, is to do things that are unexpected and to do awesome. things and to not conform, right? And yes. I think that skill in and of itself is not, it has helped me also in a more spiritual level of saying, stop looking left to right about what everyone else is doing and start looking up. And it's actually, I think, hugely impactful for people's life's mission, for their unique path. Yes, is I don't really think that I think it's very difficult in this world to know your unique path and your talents. And I think you and I have talked separately before this about how we have these talents and things we want to use to touch and uplift others. And I believe every single person has those things and it can look very different. Ours are very extroverted. They're very, you can be very in front of people, which is cool and fun. And I love it. And I embrace that. But I really believe each of us have these unique talents and specific missions we are supposed to do. And it is not just in the career world. It's not just in the home. It's not, it's really everywhere that we can use these specific talents. But the only way to do it is one, seek revelation look up and then being okay with not following the norm in whatever avenue are avenue that you are in like for example I think as a mother I've had to do things differently than maybe my other motherhood friends have done it you know or as a teenager that doesn't feel like she's going to, you know I had, we have a teenager in our ward we have this wonderful high school everyone goes to the high school she got into this incredible program one of the best high schools in the country and I'm so proud of her because by leaving this high school that all her peers are going to that's hard for her but that's part of her mission to go it's a high school that focuses on engineering and math and she has that gift awesome. but she has to 
but my daughter's at that high school and having a blast and that's right for my daughter. But for her to say, you know what, I'm going to go to this high school and it means I'm not going to be in the norm. It's actually hugely important to all of our individual paths. Yeah. Think outside the box and be okay with not fitting in essentially. Yes. And I, I, I think of that as a theme in my life and I want it for everyone's life. If you're fitting in, I think you might be doing something. Okay. So tell me a story then, Laura, of a time where you did not fit in and you went against the norm. Okay. You want a motherhood one? <laughs> I went, my husband was, okay. So this is a good one. My husband was attending Harvard Business School. His gift in life is getting into places he doesn't belong. This is where... This is where he finally used it at its at its peak. You know, we like to do pranks together. We That's kind of how we fell in love, was doing an elaborate prank on his brother on a mission. But that's a different story for a different day. That's but he, we were there and I had just had baby number three and I had, and I have spent a lot of time in the, not a lot, but a fair amount of time in the professional world. And at HBS, people are very proud of themselves for getting in and they should be because they got in and I think it is a noteworthy thing. But to say there's a little bit of arrogance would be an understatement. (laughs) And I get to tease them because I didn't get in. So I get to make fun of them and I love them and I'm proud of them for getting in. And I guess, and I congratulate them. But they're in to humble them just a little bit. 100%. So when I speak to, I speak mostly to spouses that are parents there and I go, I know your husband's very proud of himself. I congratulate him and then bring him back to earth. Yeah. Again, I, so I have a bit where I imitate their walk, like how they all, oh, I don't they stick out their hand and they have this feeling of, did you get into Harvard? Did you get into Harvard? Did you get into Harvard? And then when they'd come to me and I'd be like, I didn't get in. I didn't. I, I, <laughs> nope. I, I was this fast, but I knew still talk to me, you know? And so I had been there for a couple of years and kind of realized this pattern of being like, I, I just, I didn't get in. I guess I'm a loser. Again, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I learned early on not to do that. You know, no, I didn't get in, but I'm so excited that you did. What are you studying? Oh, I'm doing this. And just instead of feeling intimidated. But anyway, I'm, I'm going on a tangent. Basically, I started to, I founded this organization for families. I felt really guided from heaven to do it. I had a lot of support. A lot of people helped. It was definitely not just me. And I decided I wanted to break the norm of mothers and some things I don't think is right. Like, for example, I believe nursing mothers should be allowed to bring their children to meetings and especially those quiet little babies, like these babies should be with mothers. And so I had one meeting with MBAs that were working on something separate that wanted help. And these are 22, 21 year old MBAs. So most MBAs are between 20 and 30, but they happen to be young ones. And they asked me to come in and talk about my experience with community and motherhoods. And I brought my nursing baby and I was covered and modest and but I had a, a awesome nursing blanket that, you know, you yep. hook around your neck that I felt very comfortable in. And, yep. and I said, okay, boys, we're at this meeting. I'm about to nurse and you're going to have to feel okay about that. And I'm going to be covered. But this is, I think, should happen for women that have small children. They were like, okay. And they were totally okay with it. And I was covered and I said, but I want you boys to feel comfortable with this. And same thing. I had another meeting with MBA services and these are all very suited. These are now professionals that work at Harvard. And I thought, you know what? I'm bringing my toddler. I am here. I'm working for free. And even if I wasn't, she needs to be with her mother. And so I brought her to this meeting. I'm in the circle table and there's seven MBA services trying to talk to me about funding and money and and Lillian is under the table like tickling everyone's feet 
And I had to be like, I am a mother and my primary focus is them and I'm happy to do this, yes. but I'm bringing my children. And there were times where it wasn't appropriate. It couldn't have accomplished what I needed to. Right. But in the times where my children could be there, like when a speaker would come, I'd say to the other mothers in the organization, that nursing baby in the back. Yeah. And, and we do that in our church culture. And it's, it's, it's appropriate that, that these children be with their fathers and mothers. And when, when they're, it's not age appropriate and they're screaming, let's take them out. But like, I wanted to break the norm that you have to be separate from my sweet little infant baby who's quiet as a mouse. So that's a good example. I, I love that example so much, especially because sometimes we do feel, I don't know, maybe ostracized as young mothers, for sure. Like my baby would cry and I'm like, oh, I'll go out of the room or I need a nurse. Oh, I'll go upstairs or oh, I don't want to inconvenience anyone. And then, and then one time, with, this was my fourth. So you can tell like when I was one kid old, it was the blanket. It was the nobody look. It was in the corner. It was by myself. And then when I was four kids old, I was at the zoo and my son was screaming and it was so hot. And my other kids were fighting and he was starving. And I'm like, I couldn't find a place to nurse. I was like by the elephants and some, there's nowhere. And I'm like, my child needs to eat. And there's actually a law in Utah that says that breastfeeding women can breastfeed in public anywhere. It's awesome. You, it doesn't, you don't have to go hide in a slide somewhere. You don't have to go hide in, you know, the lion's den area, nurse wherever. So I'm like, you know what? I just, I wasn't blatant about it, but I just, you know, pulled up my shirt, put the baby on, which, you know, when the baby's on, you're covered. And I nursed right there in public. And I got a couple looks from some people, but I'm like, you know what? This is motherhood. I'm not trying to be inappropriate. I'm not trying to show anything. As soon as he was done, I put my shirt right down. You know, you can't see anything. But I remember, I don't know, feeling of empowerment. Like we need women to feel like we don't have to shun them for being moms. And I I just think it's so awesome that you're like, yeah, I'm a mom. I'm going to bring my kid when it's appropriate. And you're going to see that this is what I do. And this is how it is. And I just think that is so awesome that you could kind of buck that system of mothers stay home and almost, I don't want to say hidden, but sometimes hidden, stay there. And you're like, nope, I'm going to bring my kids. And even sometimes going out in public, if my kids are being loud or whatever, we were outside playing at a park and they were yelling at the top of their lungs. And I kept getting these looks from other moms. And I wanted to say, we're outside. Like <laughs> we're out. If there's anywhere they can yell, it's at a park outside and no one's sleeping. It's in the middle of the day. And I told my boys, I'm like, you yell as loud as you want. Cause we don't yell. We try not to yell. Only I'm allowed to yell inside our home. <laughs> well, I can yell inside. But I'm like, you can yell. And just being like comfortable with, hey guys, let's help each other. Let's support each other as moms and not be so, I don't know. Not be so, not have this like facade. And I think, yeah, any, I think especially like when you're first coming to motherhood, I mean, you have four, I have five. And now we're so, I'm so comfortable with the mess and the chaos. And yes, not to say it's not discouraging at times, but, it, you know, motherhood is messy. I had this, you she really looked like a, a, a Disney princess. I had this beautiful British MBA over and her and I had become close friends. She wasn't married or had children. And she had crystal blue eyes and dark black hair. And she since is the CEO of a company called peak.com. Anyway, she's incredible. And she was British and she was, had been on the red carpet. You know? Yes. Yeah. And she's in my living room and her and I are just like talking about life. And my son came into the fridge and he sliced his finger so bad that he needed stitches and the oh. blood everywhere. And 
Oh. And I remember that moment of just when, you know, when there's, I don't handle this well. My husband handles this and I was panicked and I'm not calm. I'm not like, it's okay. I'm like, oh, you know, I just have no realm of logic in these moments. Yeah. yeah. I could never be a doctor. But I remember her being there and she looking at me and she's, should I go? Should I leave? Should I take, should I leave now? And I was like, yeah, maybe. And now I would hope that I would have been more, hey, will you go get me a paper towel? Yeah. Instead of feeling like I'm having to shield the world from this mess. I mean, even picking my kids up from carpooling, I feel like I opened those sighing doors from the magical, I call it my spaceship, but it's yep. a minivan because you it's, I love, I yes. love oh, and those doors open. Black. And a lot of kids at our school has one to two kids and I'm the only one with five. There's one other mother with kindred spirits with five spills out like a trash bag and like a diaper. And I feel like I open those doors and you and reveal, I reveal like, here's the Welch family and I'm sure the presents. But yeah, I do think the beauty of later motherhood of having is you kind of are like, yep. And guess what? All of my other mom friends have the exact same thing going on. Yep. And and let's stop pretending that this is not complete reality and data. Totally. And yes. And instead, you know, I was trying to think of what has helped me because let's be honest, there's been days where I cried. I've just, you just cry over the, you know, the constant mess or the constant, it can be so discouraging. And I'm not saying that it's not, I'm not saying that every time I'm like cracking a joke when there's like lipstick, drawn into my carpet yes but I do think when you really acknowledge that this is the this is part of life and being messy is part of life and I don't think it's just in families I don't no. think it's I think you know what are we seeing with this perfectionism it's this idea that life is supposed to be picture perfect and pristine and smooth and yeah I think it's you have more experience with it and then instead I being upset all the time it's and now I look at it as oh I can take a picture should I write a skit about it or should I nail this and I did a skit on my laundry one day and it it I just woke up and the laundry was so bad yeah and very authentically came a skit and I actually have it on my social media feed about laundry and me ironically talking about here's my beautiful laundry and here are my beautiful systems and when you looked at my systems it was like so bad and I I showed a picture of the laundry and there was a wig on top of the laundry <laughs> and someone and I was like and isn't it beautiful and let me show you my tips and tricks of how to do this and I had more feedback from that post than anything I'd ever had and someone even no, said Wingy was the wig there was the, or did you place it and like no the wig was really there like I did not stage any of this and I go back to kind of what we were talking about the beginning is like when you're messy and vulnerable it's it allows other people to be like, oh my goodness, I'm completely normal. And totally. Yeah. And then, you know, that kind of thing. Yes. Oh, I want to watch that laundry skit. That looks hilarious. That's on your social media. That's like, on my social media. In fact, I got, I went on Brooke Walker interviewed me about it. Because I love Brooke. The women went, all they kept saying was, thank you. Thank you for yes. showing. And as a comedian, I started realizing, oh my goodness, like this is material. This is inspiration. Yes. Instead of getting discouraged, get your camera and your notebook out and start writing comedy about this. Yes. And even if you're not a comedian, I think having that, this is a story I get to tell my girlfriends tonight. Yep. Yep. You know, and really laughing about it 
and finding ways to see it as part of your war stories and part of part of funny things you get to share and instead of really letting it get to us. Oh yeah, part of your war stories. And it is, it's it is funny how it can be, it can make you cry in the moments. And and I cry often too about everything. And I just I I told my sister the other day, I said, I just feel like I do the same five things every day over and over. I'll organize the drawers and I'll do the laundry and I'll do the dishes and I do homework. And then the next day the drawer's messy again. So I go back to the drawer and there's more laundry and there's more dishes. Then I go back to the drawers. Like it's never done. And it's kind of maddening sometimes. It's it's just never it's never done. I just want it to done on the Incredibles when, you know, he's just, you know, he's, I just have to save the world. Sometimes I just want it to stay saved. Like, and I'm out. that's how I feel in my house. Like stay clean, just stay how I have it. Just stay this way. And it doesn't, but I think it's so important to, to laugh your way through those things. Cause honestly, sometimes laughter is the only way to get through those really hard times. So what is, what has been one of your favorite sketches that you've done or one of your favorite things that you've done that has made people laugh or was it even a sketch maybe it was just like in your home with like with your laundry thing that you did I think I have a theme that I found that I find a tremendous amount of joy in talking about and it's failure I just I love it so much and maybe it's because I'm so good at failing and and maybe I can embrace to say I'm so good at failing and because what is it what is it to be good at failing to be good at failing is failing and then recognizing that you can get up and try again and then also recognizing that it's completely part of the process. So I got asked to give a talk at state conference and it was 1200 people and I'm super excited. I remember sitting there, people were a little bit tired that day. You could tell and I'm sitting there being like, put me in coach, just put me in. Like I got to get in and wake these people up. I got, yes, yeah, yeah. And it, it, I started out the talk with telling failure stories. One was trying out for cougarettes and it was like a complete ball. Like I was failed. I was complete. I'm okay. So I'll tell it in short. I'll tell it. Okay. Wait, okay. essentially I was there to try out for ballet. I'm a true ballerina. I did, did jazz my whole life, but come on, cougarettes are at a different level. And I believe in trying out for everything. Try out, try out. Doesn't matter how much you fail because yep. you never know. You never tell you'll make something. You never know. You never know. And so I was like, well, they're having cougarette tryouts. So I got into the room and started teaching the routine. And and I learned really quickly, like there was no way I was going to catch it because they were teaching it so fast. They're like, up, down, turn, twice. And I had that freeze moment where I had lost like 30 seconds of the routine of I can't learn this fast. But that whole, all the doors were being blocked by the parents. And then they were going to do the dancing groups of two. And there was no way out. There was none. And so I just started doing the dance and then I broke away from the group. And then everyone saw this girl in pink tights and a black leotard run and break out of the crowd without my bag, without my shoes, nothing. And I just like, I gotta get out of here. And they mean, they saw me fail, fall on my face. And, and I laugh about it now. But I think, you know, the point of talking about failure is I believe one of the reasons Jesus Christ, a key reason that the Savior died for us was so we can fail. And we forget it because we're all trying to be better. So yes, so we can be better. But the only way to be better is to have failure be okay. Because you can't really live and try and do without failing. And so the I the point of sharing that story at that specific talk was to say, 
we, the savior died for us so we can fail. And, and you are trying unless you're failing and having it be part of our culture and part of our lives of failure. And of for sure the winning and doing well is part of our life, but yes, there's more comedy in failing. So I think that's become a big topic that I want to focus on and talk about. And really it's so much more interesting when, when you mentioned that I won nationals, I have a really hard time talking about that. Cause I'm like, yeah, well, Nash, I don't know. I don't really need to talk about that. But when I get to talk about, I went on TV a couple years ago and went to the wrong spot on the camera and was behind the co-hosts and they're like like I, I went and I'm back there like the awkward person who's like oh I'm not supposed to be here and like run off and I looked at my friend who I was doing it with she was the person speaking and like I'm so sorry but then in the back of my mind I'm, I'm like got another story got another story got my war stories I'm ready I love that and how oh. fun that your kids like what a positive example for your kids to see their mom laugh her way through that and be like, it's okay. And it's okay if you fail at what you're doing. Like, and that's, I think it's a way harder for me to watch my kids fail than for me to fail. Cause I can laugh my way through it and yeah, whatever. But watching my kids learn how to laugh about it and how to be okay with it has been so hard for me as a mom to watch them fail. Cause I want to take it away and I just want them to succeed. But yesterday, my son He's on this awesome soccer team and, and they're doing great. And he tried out, it's a club team and, you know, premier and whatever. And he's never, we've never done anything competitive before. Like my oldest son is on mountain biking and my second just plays junior jazz and whatever. This is like the first, ooh, it's a competitive thing. I don't know how I feel about it yet, but he was put in at goalie and he's never, he's never done goalie. Like in practice, a few times and in rec league, like he was in goalie a few times, but we never saw, we were undefeated for three years. So we never saw the ball literally ever in our goal. I don't know if he's ever even tried to block a goal before. And he was putting it goalie. And my husband was like texting me. He's like, Briggs is in it goalie. And I was like, what? We don't even know old goalie gloves. We've never practiced it. And they lost last night. And it was like seven, two. And then the second half, he was defender and he did awesome and didn't let like anything get past. He was awesome. That's what he usually plays as defense. But as goalie, Brad's like, it was like six goals. And he's like, it was so hard. And he was trying his best and he did his best. And I, I so badly wanted to be like, okay, we're going to work at this. And are you okay? And how do you feel? And I just had the strongest feeling to be like, I'm so proud of you for doing something new. And wasn't that hard? And you've never done that before. And you did it. And your coach must've thought that you could do it and trusted you because that team was the best team that they played. If <laughs> they put him in and, and what better way to fail at something that like they still don't keep score, even though it's, you know, and it's okay to fail at the small level and you can start realizing, oh, I'm okay. And I thought he would be crying when he came home and he didn't, he came home happy and in the best mood. And he's, I wasn't very good, but I tried really hard. And, and then I did really well at the position that I normally play. I'm like, great. And what do you want to work on? And I said, what did you learn from that? And he's, well, I learned I needed to dive more for the balls and I needed to, you know, call to my defenders to defend me and all these things that, that he wouldn't have learned otherwise. So while it was so painful and it's when it's a team sport, especially and they're like, you kind of lost it for our team. Like it was, you were the goalie and they lost because my son was in it the first half of the, and you know, yeah, not his fault. Yeah, he did. But they lost because he wasn't able to defend that, but he did learn some awesome lessons, but oh man, that was for me to remind myself it's okay for him to fail. It's okay. That happened. It's okay that he's learning. And how can I spin this in a positive way instead of make it like be like crushed and devastated for him and project my feelings of, oh no, on him. So how do you do that, Laura? Like when your kids come to you and 
they failed a test or they didn't make a team they tried out for or they a friend's like, I don't want to be a friend anymore. I don't like you. How do you help your kids deal with their failures? I love hearing that story where I've been there many times. I don't I think I have a lot to learn. So I, I'm going to speak some a few things that have helped but also say that I still have a lot to learn because you do, you tend to want to bubble wrap them. Yeah. You want to see them succeed. I think there's like a, a couple key things that I do. One, we have a theme of we try out for everything and it's just about trying that matters. And Stanford did this study about 15 years ago about teaching your children the, that it's more important. The effort that you've made is so much more important than you're good at this. Rather, you did good at this math test because you worked so hard, right? Those phrases or I'm so proud of you because you went to school today and you paid attention and you made friends and you listened to your teacher rather than you're good at math because you're smart at math, right? So I heard that kind of study about 10, 15 years ago. So being okay with the growth mindset. And I think that all about this generation is talking a lot about the growth mindset. They are. But I do think specifically, Kyle, and I talk a lot about being okay to try everything and we share these stories. And I have a child with dyslexia and she has had to work really hard. And I've watched her how much, how hard she's had to work. And, but she just kept trying and trying. And now in a lot of ways, I see a resilience in her that's powerful and beyond her years to try and to realize I just have to work at it and I have to work at it as much as I possibly can. And it's more about the effort that I put in. So I think uh, the biggest thing is praising the effort, praising the trying, praising the putting yourself out there. And then I do go back to kind of what we're talking about of, I think, For me, I was really good at certain things growing up and I was really bad at certain things. I was always very extreme. And I thought, I do think there were certain things that I stopped trying at because I was so bad at them. And I'm being like, I'm bad at that. So I no longer do it, which I don't think was good. And teaching our children, like one, you are really good at things and letting them be in those things. If your kid is really good at anything, let them develop that because they all need it because yeah. there's this other half. But I have a talk I want to give to teenagers in high school and it's called, We All Got Something. I love it. We all got something. We all got something. I always joke. I got, I, I don't, I said, I think I have a large Philly. I don't know what it is, but I got something. Well, I got there it. something going on and I don't know what it is. <laughs> but if you look at children, you have children with maybe learning disabilities or you have children with social disabilities. So you'll... And you start, as a mother, you start talking to other mothers. It's like their kid is getting straight A's, but their kid is really struggling socially or their child is struggling with reading, but their kid is like the all-star communicator and is friends with everyone or their family. I was talking, we were at a baseball game. I was talking to a parent and his son was just, he's six years old. He looks like he's going to be a professional ball player. And then he's, he's really struggling with reading. And I, so I started saying, okay, here are resources. You're, he's going to be fine. It's all about just work. Everything in ice is about work. And uh, you can be good at anything you put your mind to or get better at it. But I said, keep him in baseball. Let him shine. And But we all got something. We and not feeling like, not. I tell them like, you're not weird because here's a weakness. But also I think learning from my own experience, but don't run away from the week. I wish it could parallel park. I can't like... Just stop trying. Ours can do that now for you. I know. Your car to parallel park for you. Yep. But having this, I talked to a a guy who's getting his PhD. He's he's a a brilliant mind. And he's now, he's actually, I think, a bishop in San Francisco right now. But he, I remember he truly was a, a powerful teacher because he said, 
I said, yeah, I really struggle with math. And he said, yeah, you just needed, you needed the right teacher and you needed to have the right mindset. You can learn anything. You can learn anything. And I, I thought, you're right. You're right. So I think those types of ideas and concepts and talking about them and and I'm proud of you for keeping a straight face because I would have wanted to do the exact same thing. Oh my goodness. Seriously. And just cry and cry. And I have several, I have both of those kids. I have the straight A school comes so easy for me. I hardly have to study, but then not a ton of, not super social. And then I have the extreme. In, in fact, I just met with one of my son's teachers who called me in and said that he's being a distraction to some other kids in the class because he's an extreme social butterfly. <laughs> and, he's, and he's having a hard time concentrating in class. He's hard, having a hard time with his assignments. So I've got the one that's I'd rather just be friends and talk all day. And I've got the ones I just want to study and code in the library, you know, and yeah. both of those, I'm like, I'm so great. And it's also been a, a definite learning experience for me as a mom to not try and make my studious one into the social one and the social one into this like they are who they are and I love so much what you said let them be who they are let that tall kid be that ball player let my social kid he's gonna do awesome things he's like that little soccer player dude he's gonna just totally succeed my he's my oldest he's gonna be work for NASA or be like a neuroscientist or something like let them be that and don't like and and on the same thing okay we're gonna encourage you to come out of your shell. We're going to encourage you to stop talking. We have a little behavior <laughs> chat with you. So like, obviously you help them in areas that they're struggling, but don't try to make them into someone that they're not. And aren't you so glad, Laura, that your parents, and, and I'm assuming they did because of who you are, just let you be you. And in all of, I love that you're like, oh, I'm so extreme. I'm this way and that way. And I totally see that. And I love that. Like how fun to just be your friend or, or for your husband to be married for you to you or for you to be the mom of your kids like you're just so fun and aren't you so glad that your parents are like you just be you because you are needed and and it goes back to what you said at the beginning of the podcast I feel like everyone has something to offer everyone is needed exactly as they are and who they are like we need a different people we need a bunch of different people in this world doing what they do best and being who they are we need just all that variety so good. It's so needed. It's so good. And something I wrote a homeschool skit because I was homeschooled for eight years. My mom was very, we weren't, she wasn't very competitive. So there wasn't a lot of competition in our household. There was, it was about kind of what you're saying, be who you are. There was a lot of freedom. My dad thought I walked on water, right? They had all of that. And then we still had realism. There was still correction and yeah, feedback as I think is super important in parenthood. But embracing the sense of who you are and that you're loved, who you are and as you cut, right? And I'm so grateful for that sort of, but I, I do think we're living in a time where we measure, there are certain skills that are easy to measure. And if your child or teenager or adult, if you are a person that has those set of skills that are easy to measure, then you can kind of have that pat on the back and that accolade. And I think this is even within motherhood, like mother, we know that as mothers, we are working our tails off and that we are contributing and then, but how is it measured because we're not paid or how is it measured because you don't get a grade or how is it all measured? And a favorite book is uh, written by Clayton Christensen on how to measure your life. And I think with children, with us, with all of us, we need to be measuring things differently than society measures things, whether it's academically scholastic or with our resumes or all of it is really know that a measure of a life is to love your fellow man, to love God and to 
and live up to your full potential. Yes. And the way we do that is, is, is by connecting to Heavenly Father. And that Heavenly Father will, is the only one, the only source that we actually can fulfill those things with and stop giving credit or value or weight to really anything else and have that connection to heaven and your purpose. And that's where confidence comes from. That's where being able to not care what other people think and peace and really purpose and meaning will come is by knowing that source and going to that source and connecting with that source. Perfectly said. I completely agree with you. I believe that we can do anything with his help and that he can make our lives even better than we could have figured it out on our own. And and whatever direction your life is going in, if you're listening to this, okay, but I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do, or I am just staying home, or I, I'm working really hard and I'm trying to figure out if this is the right path for me. Believe so strongly that when you include Heavenly Father in your decisions and you ask him, where do you see me? Where, how, what do you see me doing with my life? And that's not to say that you're taking away your agency or anything, you know, obviously we also have our choices, but how, help me make the best choice for my life that he will. And he will make more of you and more of your life than, than you ever could have on your own with your own knowledge. And Amen. Hey, Laura, I'm so grateful for you for taking the time to come on doing good today. Thank you so much for your insights and your wisdom. And if people are like, oh my gosh, I would love to hear more from you or they want to hire you to speak at one of their events or do a fireside or whatever, where can people get a hold of you? So laurawelch.com online or on Instagram, it's Laura Evelyn Welch. Laura Evelyn Welch. Laura Evelyn Welch's Instagram and laurawelch.com is my website. And you can, you have my email and complete direct contact to me through that. And, and you I, still love to do things like you, you want to speak, you want to. Yes, I love speaking secularly or to religious, speaking to teenagers about faith and values, mothers, Really, I love speaking to the whole family. If I do a whole family, I'll focus more on being a great human, laughing about his life and focusing on that kind of divine purpose and mission and how do we be a hero and light to others, those type of topics. And then to religious groups, I have a, a very large repertoire after my years of EFY, yeah. depending on the need of that group. And But yeah, I really love speaking to all audiences and anything that kind of will uplift and help people. Beautiful. If, if you loved listening to Laura today, please check out her website or her Instagram and reach out to her. Laura, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and for all the good you're doing. It was so great to meet you and thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Doing Good with Carmen Herbert. If you'd like to hear more from Carmen and get brand new full-length talks that you can't get anywhere else from some of your favorite speakers like John By The Way, Meg Johnson, and Hank Smith, you can exclusively inside Our Turtle House. Just go to OurTurtleHouse.com to get started. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you back here for another episode next week.